Hello, everyone, and welcome. My name is Jana Panaritis, and you're listening to the AgeWise podcast, where we give you strategies for aging well and wisely. And how do you do that when on top of struggling to meet the demands of your own life, you're also caring for an aging parent or a spouse, or maybe you're caring for another member of your family? Well, we're here to help. Each week, we'll hear from the experts, professionals in the field of aging, and people like you, unsung heroes rising to the occasion of caring for a loved one and finding unexpected rewards along the way. So stick around for some straight talk on aging in all its unpredictable glory. Karen White is the founder and owner of Home Health Services of the Palm Beaches. Now, I know what you're thinking, yet another home care agency to add to my list. Well, hold up, because this one is a little different. Karen's agency specializes in caring for folks who have Alzheimer's or related dementia, and her staff of registered nurses, home health aides, and personal companions are, quote, nurturers by nature. That's the best kind of caregiver, right? Karen White, I am delighted to welcome you to the show to tell us more about this really unique home care agency. Welcome. Great to have you. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. Karen, you live in Florida now, but I know that you're not from here. Can you tell us where you were born and what brought you to South Florida? Well, I was born in Canada, Toronto, Ontario. I lived there for about six years of my life, basically, and came to Florida via my mother, who Um, My mother and father, they are originally from Jamaica, Mm -hmm. and, you know, they traveled to England and then to Canada, and then my mother was sponsored as a nurse to Florida. Hmm. So she basically took the family, you know, and all of us basically came down and lived here for, you know, pretty much a good portion of our life. (laughs) Wow, so your mom was the leader there. And how many, do you have siblings? I do. um, I have two sisters and one brother, a total of four. And a couple of them live in Georgia, and another one lives in Connecticut. Okay. And are your folks still living, and are they here in Florida? Uh, my mother is here. She lives here in Florida. And um, my father, he passed away when I was young, you oh, know, I'm sorry. very young. Yes. And he wasn't sick or anything like that, but he was pretty much, you know, just a sudden type death, oh. you know. So. so how old were you when he passed? Um, when he passed, I was about 12 years old. Oh, my gosh. That's really young. Yes, it is. Wow. And um, it was hard. It was very, a very emotional time and very hard to deal with mm-hmm. at that time. Mm-hmm. So did your mom raise you all on her own? Yes, she actually did. She was a nurse and she was a, a caregiver as well because she had part-time duties for different people on Palm Beach. Mm-hmm. And she was also a registered nurse at Palm Beach Gardens Hospital mm-hmm. um, for over 20 years. Oh. And she's worked three, four jobs at a time and managed to have us still go to school, get our education, you know, and do the things that we needed to do um, moving forward. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty admirable. Four kids, too. Four kids, you know, and I have one, and I'm trying to figure out how that, how does that work? <laughs> you know, I was like, wow, how did you do it? <laughs> you know, because she got a lot of, lot of help, you know, with her church and right. um, with her the family and friends that assisted her. So, you know, she pretty, she had to take on a big role, but we're here. 
Mm-hmm. You made it. And how old is your child? Well, my child is 12 years old. He'll have a birthday in January. Okay. It's interesting. Teenage years. Yeah, he's going to hit those <laughs> teenagers. Oh, gosh. Mm-hmm. I know. Uh, oh, my gosh. Okay, so what were you doing before you founded the Home Health Services of the Palm Beaches? And, and why did you decide to go in this direction with your career? Well, several things. In the past, I worked at um, JFK Hospital. I was a nursing assistant at that time, and I decided that working there and going to nursing school, you know, that it would it would benefit me. I I held off on nursing school for a while and worked at the hospital for a couple years, and then I said, you know what? Let me get into something else. So I got into law, you hmm, know, which was actually wow, that's a switch. <laughs> I know, big switch as a paralegal. Uh-huh. And I was there for about nine years doing that. And during the time that we were working, you know, that I was working, we handled a lot of estate cases, a lot of real estate bankruptcies and things like that. But then we also had handled a lot of elder care cases as well. And the funny thing about it is that the type of need that, you know, transpired among these people they wanted something more in depth. And there was a lady, her name was Karen as well, and she had an agency that basically if someone declares somebody incompetent or unable to take care of themselves through the court, this company would actually show that, wait a minute, no, they are competent. So they're kind of mm-hmm. defending them. Mm-hmm. But it worked out that I said, wait a minute, that looks kind of interesting. So, But I still hadn't made my decision yet to go back into that field. Mm-hmm. So I went ahead and got my MBA while I was a paralegal. Wow. And um, I did that because I felt, you know what, at some point in my life, I want to be a leader. Mm-hmm. And being a leader requires at least some kind of credential at some point, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> so, so I went back to school and got the MBA, did that. Then I went into the nursing, got, you know, did my nursing. And wait a then, minute, wait, wait a minute. You're glossing over this really important step, very <laughs> humbly. Know. You got your MBA and then you went back to nursing school? Right. Okay. Right. And did you become an RN? Right. Wow. Right, right. That's impressive. Okay. So right. I wanted to put all this together with the legal and everything. I couldn't really do what I really wanted to do in that legal field, mm-hmm. you know, because being a paralegal, you know, you. You kind of do all the work, but you can't really help as much as you really, really want right. to. So then after that, I said, you know what, let me see what my other options are, you know, because you kind of go into this thing, should I work in the hospital, should I do this, should I do that? So it boiled down to, you know what, let me look into going into business. But before I even got to that point, my aunt, she got sick, and she was an administrator in Canada at um, the hospital there. And she was one of those, you know, the busy types, mm-hmm. didn't really get to take care of herself as much as she really wanted to, but she was always for the family. You know, mm-hmm. she never had kids. She wasn't married. Mm-hmm. And she basically was her own person. And we all kind of looked up to her, you know, mm-hmm. but in the midst of that, we were wondering, at, especially at the last part of her life, you know, we we're like, well, she wants to spend a lot of time with us lately, you know, you know, cause as a family, we go on a lot of trips and things like that. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, she's like, oh, well, I'm coming, I'm coming, you know, and she never did that before. But anyway, I decided that, you know, why don't I put all these things that I have together and why don't I start a home health business where I can actually get in and really help people the, the way I really wanted to. One of the key things is working in the hospital 
where, you know, you had 13 patients. You know, the CNA, you had 13 patients. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you had the whole floor, one side, right. two floors, you know, which land up to 20 patients at a right. time. And people really weren't getting the proper care that they really needed. Mm-hmm. And um, I had a friend, you know, that we were a couple of the best aides on the floor, you know, and I want to pull my coat tail, coat tail or anything like that, but it was true <laughs> because we worked as a team mm-hmm. to make sure that those people that who couldn't take care of themselves were taken care of first. Mm-hmm. And then we kind of went down the line, you know, we kind of organized it so that we could basically take care of everybody by the end of the day, you know, mm-hmm. or the end of the shift. And at that time, I felt there was a big need because there are people that are in there that just can't speak for themselves at all. You mean and, folks um, that are in the hospital that don't have family or other caregivers to speak on their behalf and are incapable of it themselves? Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Okay. And you also have those patients that were comatose or something like that, yeah. and they were very elderly, and you have people coming in there and just check, no one's sitting there with them. Nobody's, they're just in that room. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I was like, no, something has to change on this end. Mm-hmm. So that's one reason I developed this company so that I said, you know what, I can be in control of how these people are going to be taken care of, especially for those that they have family, but they don't really want to deal with the issues that they're you know, going through. The family. The family, mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and I want to be able to make the, a difference on that end. Mm-hmm. Can I for, just ask you a question? I think a lot of people who have experience with CNAs or staff in hospitals get really frustrated. If you could talk a little bit about the variety of types of individuals who are CNAs and, and the, or sort of speak to the frustration that people who, family members, I mean, I've heard so many people say, you know, they're just now, some people are really demanding too, you know, right. but right. Um, what does that scene like for you as a CNA and just to be on that floor? Well, the thing is, this is the thing, it's a, I'm not going to lie, it's very challenging, yeah. okay, yeah. very challenging. And when you come and you, you take your case or whatnot, first of all, there's little respect for a CNA with staff. That's number one, okay? Mm-hmm. And then number two, you're loaded with work. Number three, the type of compassion that if you don't have it, the whole job would just stress you out, okay? Uh-huh. Because it's a lot of pressure to make sure. First of all, you have the mother or daughter or right. husband, wife, whichever, that is in that room. Sometimes, Mm -hmm. okay, Mm -hmm. and some of them can be very demanding. Oh, you need to do this. You need to do that. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it can become a bit demeaning because of the type of things that you have to do as far as giving someone a bath. Or basically if someone just came off of using the commode or something like that, and then someone, you know, there was an incident where, you know, one lady was approached and said, you know, you didn't wipe my husband properly, you know, Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. it's one of those things where you have to have compassion to Mm -hmm. a point where you're not only dealing with staff, with nurses or, you know, some of the people that feel like, okay, you're not doing a good job or you're not doing anything at all, you're not helping me. Did you say earlier that you felt like CNAs didn't get a lot of respect from staff? Or Yes. Okay. Yeah, I want to just clarify that. Okay. Right. Mm -hmm. And And the reason being is because, You know, it's like the lower of the totem pole, you know, that position. And usually most of these people that take that type of job, you know, are people that are trying to move up. They're trying to get into nursing or they're trying to go further in the career. Some of them, that's just where they are. That's the job that they've decided to do. And then it becomes, it's just a job. But there are genuine CNAs that are there that say, no, 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 I don't just take this as a job. 
like for myself, it was a, a matter of, okay, I know I have a whole floor that I got to take care of, okay? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I know that maybe three of them are able to take care of themselves. We kind of provide the proper service to them. And then there's a couple that just need, you know, assistance with eating and this and that. And then there's some people that's a total care. But when you see the people that are in the bed that are helpless and they are unable to respond or even if they can respond and say, can you just pass me the water or can you just put something under my feet? My goal ultimately was for them to be comfortable, the best way that I knew how to make them comfortable. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of aides that don't think like that. Their thing is, oh, you know what, I'm just going to just do this and I'm done. That's the reason why there's a lot of turnover in the hospital. Mm-hmm. That's the reason mm-hmm. why a lot of people that meet up with caregivers that basically don't care because they're looking at it as a job. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have that compassion or that caring, or our thing is to nurture that natural state mm-hmm. about you, mm-hmm. it's not going to work. And that's why in my talking or dealings with people that are looking for a home health agency, they're saying, well, why why should I use that home health agency? Or why should I deal with something like that? I said, well, think about this. You get personal care in the home, and you're able to be in the home, and you're used to the home, right? When you're in a strange place or a place that, you know, everything is a lot of bells and whistles ringing and you got IVs and all kind of stuff in your body and things like that, and then you have someone that randomly comes to you ever so often when they can and your needs aren't met, there's a big difference. And that's the reason why, I mean, I'm not going to doubt the house, you know, down it or anything like that, only because they're there and they're there to serve as well. But when the bureaucracy gets in there, when the organization gets in there, that's all it becomes. And you just become a number. Right. And you don't get the actual treatment and care that you really need at home. Right. And I think it's just frust- it's frustrating for everybody. It's frustrating it for people like you who are in that mm-hmm. setting that really care and are not supported necessarily by the staff right. around you. Who, by right. the way, one of the chief complaints I've always heard from people who have family members in hospitals is like the t- staff doesn't communicate with each other. The right hand doesn't know what the left hand yep. is doing. That's so frustrating. I right. Mean- <laughs> and, and the way you counter that, honestly, is that, because that's what I was saying, you know, like a couple of my, the people that I work with and most of the nurses, they, the communication is very important. I mean, you're working alongside a nurse because, that's, you know, the certified nurse's aide. So you're working alongside them. Mm-hmm. And some of the nurses, you know, they have a chip on their shoulder or they have, or I'm not doing this or I'm not doing that, mm-hmm. you know, or even things that they can do, but they're busy too. They sure. have things that they have to do as well too. But when you, as a CNA, realize, like, okay, you're the next best thing to that patient. You're, like, that next person in line mm-hmm. that I'm gonna, I, that I, that's going to meet my basic needs. Mm-hmm. Then that right there is where you take charge of the situation, and you know what your role is, and you make sure that that patient is comfortable. Mm-hmm. That's just the bottom line. Mm-hmm. And then you have to put aside and take out all of that around you as far as, okay, my nurse is just not doing what she's supposed to do, or maybe she is, but I don't see her. Or, the, you know, you see next door that other aide on the, you know, that's doing another case over there. You know, they're kind of like not doing what they're supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. And you don't turn a blind eye. You go and you say, look, I'll help you fix this. I'll help you do that. Because the bo- bottom line is you, you need your job, of course. And at the same time, this person needs to be comfortable. Right. And that's basically what it's all about. Mm-hmm. You know, I think family members, too, get really confused about who's got what role. I mean, I know when my right. mom was in the hospital for shoulder surgery, she was in a room and there was a whiteboard directly across from her bed and 
various mm-hmm. folks came in and wrote their names up on it and, and right. their designations. <laughs> it's like it's really right. hard to keep track of who's supposed to be oh, doing yeah. what. So you were working in hospitals for a while, and then you, mm-hmm. you took yourself out of that because you wanted to start this agency, and you referred to your, your aunt a little earlier and her being sick. Can you expand on that a little bit and how that influenced the particular kind of agency you started? Sure, sure. Well, what ended up happening, my aunt became sick, you know, as I mentioned, and um, it was going into dementia. Mm-hmm. And Did she have an she, injury, or what kind of sickness did she have? She, well, that's the, that's the problem. We didn't really know, uh-huh. you know, what the main diagnosis was. Mm-hmm. The family assumed it's breast cancer, oh. but it was never really diagnosed where she would tell us. Then with HIPAA and everything, you can't really find anything out. But the family members feel that it started with breast cancer. Okay. Right. The thing is, when she got sick, she came to visit us and everything like that. And she went in. It's kind of hard for me to talk about, but okay. it. but it's okay. It's okay. Because okay. my aunt, <clears throat> she's very secretive. She's outgoing and she'll talk to you and things like that, but very secretive and mm-hmm. private. Mm-hmm. That's why I kind of have to respect some of the stuff I might say. But anyway, she she came down, and so we, you know, had to go to the hospital and everything like that. And um, because she passed out, mm-hmm. basically, mm-hmm. and when she went to the hospital, they basically said to her that you know your aunt's really sick. So we were like, well, what's that mean? <laughs> you know, right, right. And they didn't want to say what it was, but they thought it was that, mm-hmm. only because of what you know underneath looked like. So we kind of went on that because she never told us that, you know, she never said that to us. Mm -hmm. And then she had to go back to Canada, travel back to Canada to get treatment. So she had to get radiation and all that kind of stuff. And I believe the body just became septic with other things. Mm -hmm. So soon, you know, the confusion started and... Uh-huh. And then the family members, of course, everybody, this is like a shock to everyone, sure. you know, everybody just was like, well, what's going on, you know? And then the harder part is that we're trying to tell you, you need to go to the doctor. You need to follow up. You right. need to go into this and, oh, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. And and then she comes back and then she never forgot us or anything like that. But it got to the point as she started to decline, mm-hmm. you know, she just kind of just went like mm-hmm. it was just so fast and she passed and this was kind of around the time when I was still in school and everything for nursing. Mm-hmm. And, um, so how long ago mom, was this, Karen? Oh, this is about two years now. Oh, no, gosh. three years. About oh, three not, years. Not yeah, so it's still ago. raw. It's it's still kind of, you know, hard to talk about. But yeah. it's about three years now. And like I said, it was a rough time. And I kind of fit into that. And I know about the whole sandwich generation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because not only did... I have her to deal with. My mom, she got sick around the same time, too. My mom, she got out of her sickness, and she's, you know, she's okay. okay. She, she um, you know, she's fine and everything. But the pressure and the whole, you know, dealing with my kid and, you know, mm-hmm. dealing with the, her. And, you know, we had to go back and forth and travel to help her and make mm-hmm. sure that she's comfortable and doing all this. And this is between all four of us taking the time out to take care of all of us, you know, mm-hmm. my mom and, and her. And we made a pact, because we're a pretty close family, yeah. you know, we're pretty close. And we just kind of made a pact that we're, we're going to look out for everybody. So finally, you know, she tried to put everything in order best as she could. And Your aunt. My aunt, right. Okay. And then, of course, it caused a lot of disruption in the family because some people felt, no, you should do this. And, that. and that's another thing. You have to have your estate papers in order. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you don't do that, <laughs> yeah, you have to have those because... 
that causes a contention as well. But after that, you know, when she passed, I said, you know what, I've seen this too much, even in the hospital and things when people just pass and there's, you know, I, I got to do something preventative and I have to do something while they're going through it. Mm-hmm. I, and I want to learn more about it and I want to do this. And that's really where this company basically started, how it started on that premise. That's why it's called Home Health Services of the Palm Beaches, because I want it to be a global sounding thing that we're here to help you. We're not just an agency, especially with the conditions, the dementias and the uh, Alzheimer's and the different things that lead up to that. We want to be there for those people the Mm -hmm. best that we can, because we know what it's like and we know that it's hard. It's also hard for the caregivers. Some of them don't want to give up. You know, like if, if you're taking care of your mom, you know, you don't want to give that up. You feel like you're obligated, which is okay. I mean, that's natural, but it's almost like, okay, you're hurting yourself as well because caregivers, they definitely stress. And I was in a position where only God could help me, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, <laughs> only God could help me. And it was a relief when, you know, like when I was at school, my mom, she they found out that she was pretty much okay, uh-huh. and that was a relief. And then when my, my aunt... When she passed, she wasn't suffering no more, yeah. you know. Your aunt had dementia. We want to make that clear, right? Right. And your agency specializes in Alzheimer's and dementia care. And Correct. And why is it important to distinguish between Alzheimer's and dementia care and care provided to folks who don't have dementia? I mean, like, what are some of the unique challenges of caring for the dementia well, population? The Alzheimer's is a form of dementia, Mm -hmm. and the Alzheimer's, basically, it's more long-lived, and it's almost like they're living in their own world, Mm -hmm. but they're still able to function. Mm -hmm. You know, they're still able to do all these different things, so they'll go and we'll give them a walk, they'll take a walk, and they'll look at the trees if that's something they used to like in the past. What we try to do is we try to find out exactly, you know, what is it that they used to do? And try to at least bring that back. That's where those memory things come in and, you know, the activities that we help to, you know, not juggle the memory so much, but just to say, okay, do you like to sing? Hmm, Let's play some music, Mm -hmm. you know, those kind of things. Mm -hmm. And you would be so surprised at the things that naturally happen. Like someone that plays the piano, I used to play the piano, can still play the piano the same way, no mistakes, and they are able to... Did you like it? You know, that kind of thing. But they're not talking to someone they know. They're talking to someone they know in their world. Right. You know what right. I mean? And it's almost like, like there's this box, you know, that they're in. And you have to be able to get into that box, not as sister, not as brother, not as whoever. You know what I mean? But you have to get into their box to mimic their world so that you can be able to take care of them because sometimes they get frustrated. They get frustrated themselves, they get angry, they get mad, and they want to take it out. Some people, that they don't want to eat. It's not because they don't want to eat, it's just a, I'm trying to voice to you that I want to do something else. <laughs> I just want right. to do this, then I'll do that. Yeah. You know, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. And then with the dementia, you, you know, usually sometimes it follows up after a sickness or an ongoing sickness, and um, it comes and goes in a sense, but it's really demented to the point where the patient is kind of just there in a sense. You know, they're really not able to do too much of anything. And, of course, there's different forms of it. Mm-hmm. But we've decided that our goal is to meet those needs. There was one person that we used to take care of a long time ago, and she always used to ring out the name, Lonnie, Lonnie. You know, that was her call. Mm-hmm. And apparently Lonnie was somebody that took care of her a long time ago when she was up and vibrant or whatever, and that was her caregiver, you know, or just her her help. 
And if she calls you Lonnie, she likes you. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good sign. <laughs> if she don't call you Lonnie, she, she <laughs> don't like you. Yeah. Exactly, you know. So and um, it's things like that that just keeps us going and just realizing there's people still in there. Mm-hmm. You, and you're not going to recognize it. And a lot of people are frustrated because they don't understand it. Mm-hmm. And one key thing is we want to teach and educate what this is all about. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, we kind of link up with the Alzheimer's Association, you know, those that, mm-hmm. you know, to try to end it. But it starts with what happens. Right. So what sort of training do you provide to your staff of caregivers? And without naming names, can you give us an example of a client that you've served? I've served several clients that, like right now, I have one that has dementia, but he's pretty sick. He's Mm. pretty sick. Mm. And he's probably going into his final times. But Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. he was a good man, you know, in his past, but he's not doing anything. He's just kind of there. Sometimes he's comatose, sometimes he's not. Mm -hmm. And just not really that functional at all. Mm -hmm. So this gentleman's living in in his home? He was in his home, Uh and um, now he had to move to hospice because he's declining. And, you know, it's hard on the family, but they're at his side and things like that. But, again, you remember the way that it was before, you know? Right, And you try to take those things and use that to guide how you care for the person. Mm -hmm. But the training for the staff, usually staff members that are hired, they already had Alzheimer's training because you have one of the prerequisites in order to get your CNA license, that domestic violence and um, HIV infection control Hmm. type thing. Hmm. So those are a couple of major things that the state requires. Hmm. But when they come on with us, we're affiliated with the Alzheimer's Association where they have little trainings there, but we also have in services that we provide Mm -hmm. on staff. And everyone knows and have an experience, you know, with somebody that they've dealt with, you know, on that end. Mm -hmm. And at our in services, we have ethic meetings. Basically, to talk about the problems that are out there and how, as a company, how do we meet those challenges. And it's, it's good because it allows not only the caregiver can talk and air it out and say, you know, oh, you know, this guy, he, he yelled at me. I said, mm, we know that, but, but you understand that, you know. Right. And there's times the caregivers are going through their own stress, they're going through their own problems, but at the same time, their number one goal is, again, to care. But we have these meetings so that we can air things out and talk about things and then find ways to bypass that so that mm-hmm. if things happen, we know how to handle it. And how you often know? do you have these meetings? Once a month, a month. And this is with your staff. How many mm-hmm. folks do you have on staff now? Well, right now we have five. Mm-hmm. We have five major players. We have two companions. We have three CNAs. And then we have like two nurses mm-hmm. and we're small, you know, we're growing. Mm-hmm. And, well, you're um, also and kind of new, right? Yeah. Right, right, right. We're about two years old now uh-huh. and we carefully, carefully screen our people and make sure that who we have on, you know, meets the goals of the company, knows what the goals of the company are, knows where we're going and our direction and the vision. And a lot of people have applied for these positions, and Uh a lot have been denied. And the thing is, what I'm trying to do, actually, is create an organization that that has pride, it has vision, it has ethics. My goal is to create a tight-knit group so that we are all on one page, because I don't want to just be an agency, and I want people to understand we really do care. We have over 30 years of experience in this group, Mm -hmm. and we carefully hire people. We carefully vet people. You know, they have to be background checked, 
drug screened. References have to come back. If they don't, we don't hire you. Everything. Because those things determine your integrity. Is it really hard to find quality caregivers? And It is. And why? The reason why it's hard, the nature of the job, that's sure. number one, mm-hmm. and also the wages. Right. And, you know, we try to be very competitive, in fact, with our wages. But most people out there think, oh, well, I don't have to do this. I don't have to do that. Or I can, they can come to you and say, you know, I, I, I'm the type of person that makes sure that this person was fed. I bake, I bake cookies. I, mm-hmm. I do all these different things. And mm-hmm. yeah, but do you have a heart? Are you compassionate about things? Mm-hmm. And sometimes mm-hmm. in the interview, you can notice body language, certain questions that you mm-hmm. ask, you know, mm-hmm. you can kind mm-hmm. of say, oh, mm. because some people want a job just for a job. Mm-hmm. They figure I have the experience. I just want to just go out there get that four hours or get that eight hours or whatever, and I'm done. That's it. And that's the reason why it's hard. And based on the way that we interview, based on what you have to do to get to the that last leg of that recruiting process, some people don't even want to go that route because they're too used to some agency saying, oh, yeah, we'll hire you, and then maybe give them 10 hours and then that's it. It becomes like an on-call type thing. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why there's a lot of turnover. That's why some people work for five or six agencies. They might do a shift here, they might do a shift over there, but there's no commitment. There's no, you know, I see your vision. I see where you're trying to go. Mm-hmm. And like you said, most of these agencies, they're pretty big, and that's good. But the staff that they have, how cohesive are they? That's why you'll have someone who will hire somebody, and then they're like, oh, I don't like that person. Oh, I don't like that person. No, yeah. and they have those options. Right. But if you have a group of people that are all in the same mind, the visions are the same, and the goal is to make sure you're comfortable, you will not have a problem with anyone. Mm-hmm. And the family members as well, because a lot of these people are educated on Alzheimer's, they're educated on dementia, they're educated on these things, and they're able to really put the care that's necessary based on the Alzheimer's and dementia. What incentives do you provide for caregivers who are really dedicated to stick with you rather than go to another agency? Do you provide health insurance for these folks? We don't offer insurance right this moment, but we take care of taxes. A lot of agencies, they are 1099, but we basically W-2 and take taxes out. So they don't have to worry about, oh, my gosh, i got to pay taxes at the end of the year and, you know, things like that. Right. Which is kind of interesting because someone that we were interviewing, I told them about, they said, really? I was like, oh, yeah, we take on that, you know, because we feel that if you are in the company, you're a part of a company, you're not just an agent somewhere going in and out whenever you want or, you know what I mean? Right. You're part of something. So we felt like it's our duty or, you know, responsibility to kind of take care of you. Then we offer training and those are paid for. They're actually a set of trainings that you have to have ongoing required by the state. Different things like infection control and behavior management, Alzheimer care, you know, those kind of things. And there's incentives also for moving up. So say you are a CNA and you wanted to go into nursing, then we would subsidize part of that because we want people to grow. We don't want stagnant people. So we're investing in our caregivers. I'm really surprised to hear that agencies typically don't take out taxes and Social Security and they only 1099 people. I didn't know that. That's widespread, is it? Yeah, it is. Because, again, the nature of the business is the turnover is very high. And there's not many commitments because, you know, maybe our agency doesn't have many cases or they do have cases, but they can't give it to it. So you just fill in and you're just getting somebody for that time period, but they're not part of the company.
You know, right. you can wear your own uniforms. Our staff has uniforms. They have logos, so they can be identified as an agency. I see a okay. lot of agencies out there. They they're just wearing regular scrubs. No, or, we or have street set, clothes sometimes. Or street which exactly, is, which is exactly. okay, I guess. I mean, well, there's some people that. Some patients or clients, they'll say, you know, I don't want someone coming over here in a uniform. But right. ours is pretty stylish, and we, but we, everyone <laughs> wears uniforms. <laughs> I'm telling you, my vision, my idea of what all this is, it's like a hospital on wheels. Okay. <laughs> you know? Okay. So it's almost like we're not skilled nursing, you know, okay. like provide medications and okay. wound care and things like that. You know, we're just strictly companion care, personal care bathing and, and uh, feedings and things of that nature. And just if someone needs a companion to sit and be with that person or whatnot, mm-hmm. and everything is scaled. So depending on your experience and things like that, you move up in the company. And there's a lot of incentives there. I want to ask if you are subsidized in any way by Medicare or Medicaid. Do you get revenue from them? I'm not subsidized with Medicare, but we accept Medicaid. Mm-hmm. And we are a provider in the midst of finalizing some things. So you currently don't get funding from Medicaid or you do? I don't, only because I'm in the process of it. We have a provider number and all that kind of stuff, but Mm -hmm. we haven't, it's not finalized yet because they just put a moratorium on Medicare, Medicaid. I think it's Uh like a six month moratorium on it because of the fraud that's going on. Uh Is that a nationwide um, moratorium or just Florida? Just Florida. Okay. Just Florida. Mm -hmm. And other states have it, but they were at different times. Uh But they just started that Mm -hmm. a couple months ago. Mm -hmm. So right now we're in the waiting stages for that. So Mm -hmm. Because I know agencies do get subsidized, right? Oh, yeah. Well, you know what? The Medicare, what's interesting is that Medicare doesn't cover... In home. Home health. Right. 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 But Medicaid does. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Uh And see, that's beneficial because for people that aren't able to afford private pay Mm -hmm. or don't have any long-term care insurance, which we we take all of those things, it's easier to do that, Mm -hmm. you know? I've come to sort of look at agencies in a way as temp agencies because Mm -hmm. they sort of grind out these workers that they send out. And this is mm-hmm. no disrespect for the folks who actually do the work because you get some really right. great ones. But that lack of, of personalization is demoralizing because mm-hmm. you're getting folks who are working that really do care about people, but they're just oh, yeah. not getting the support. And then see, most of these people are kind of used to, okay, well, they don't have anything for five months. They don't have anything. Okay, but what are y'all doing while you're waiting right. you know, for another case? Right. That's why we have the in-services. That's why we have the trainings. That's why we try to do all these different things in between so that even if there isn't a case available right away, you're still doing something. And are they and getting paid for that or are you just offering that training for free for them? We offer it for free because we have to pay for it ourselves. You know, So oh. the company has to pay for it mm-hmm. for them. Mm-hmm. So they don't have to worry about paying for it, but at the same time they're able to come and do it. So it, it's a benefit. It goes both ways. There are some people that figure, oh, I work for an agency, and they're supposed to have jobs like right away, like right now. Mm-hmm, and an mm-hmm. agency might have 20 cases, and it might have 100 staff members. So what happens? People leave that company, and then they go somewhere else in hopes of getting some hours somewhere else. Mm-hmm. So it's a jumping bean type thing. And then they're not even paid that much. So the way that I've done this, it's a radical change because... 
sometimes people during the interview, well, you know, no one ever asked me that or no one. Can you give me an example of of something that you've asked someone in an interview that the person has said, wow, I've never been asked that. One of the things that I've asked is why do you want to be a caregiver? (laughs) (laughs) And they're like, nobody asked me that before. Really? (laughs) I'm looking at them. Are you serious? And it puts the edge on them because they're like, okay, how do I answer this? And then I'm like, (laughs) just answer the question. (laughs) Just kind of answer the question because if you don't know why you're doing what you're doing and you don't want to say, oh, it's because it's a job, you can never say that. But if you you really can't give a legitimate reason, why do you choose this field? Uh Why are you in it? What is your purpose? And I swear, some people get so dumbfounded, it's crazy. And the thing that I'm asking for and listening for because I care, because I'm compassionate, because I want to succeed with making someone happy, you know, those kind of things. I'm looking for somebody like me. That's really, and, you know, (laughs) I'm serious. I'm looking for somebody just like me that Mm -hmm. has that care and that compassion. It's funny, one, one lady, one of her caregivers went out, she was helping a client into the car, and this other lady, she was a social worker. She said to her, she said, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to stare. I didn't mean to, to, you know, watch what's going on. But I just noticed how you were, you know, handling and taking care of your client there. You were doing a great job. I just want to let you know you're doing a great job. And I'm a social worker. And I, I take note of these things when I go out. And she was like, oh, my gosh. And then when she came back and told me that, I was like, oh, my gosh. Are you serious? Like, wow, because... You have to exhibit those things out there, and that's all I'm trying to portray. You're not just talking down to the person, or or you're not walking with them, and then you have your phone in your hand, and you're doing whatever, or talking. You know, I've seen some things, and I'm like, oh, my God, no, no, no. (laughs) (laughs) And see, that's why in the interview... If you're, answer, you're trying to answer your phone in the interview or if you're trying, if you're just moving around or you're too, you know, uncomfortable, you know, that tells me right there you're not good for the job. So, so yeah. So what, what sort of comments come up in the staff meetings from your caregivers? Well, you know what, honestly, this is one thing. And it, it came across to us as a issue. And me personally, I'm not a prejudice. I don't look for it. Uh-huh. And I don't try to revel in it. Okay, but I know it's out there. Sure. Okay. Yeah. And some caregivers have met that. This one lady told me that if she was to go to the house place that she's supposed to do her work or whatnot, and the guy that she's taking care of, the client, when he puts on black and white socks, he doesn't want a black caregiver. I'm like, are you serious? Wait (laughs) a minute. That is like such. That's really (laughs) deep code. I mean, how would you? Oh yeah. Be able. Oh yeah. Well, wait. She's already there. (laughs) <laughs> She's already there, exactly. And then guess what happens? The agency doesn't back her up or anything like that. The agency says, okay, well, we're just going to have to change as a staff member. Mm-hmm. Wait, okay, so that's someone who worked for another agency that ended up coming <laughs> to work for you? Did you right. Say? She's with us now. Because my thing is, look, I'm going to back you up. I'm right. going to back you up unless I have reason not to. And my thing is, I don't take bad cases. Money's there, that's one thing, but at the same time, I'm not going to be disrespected. I'm not going to have my staff members be disrespected, and I'm not going to have people be demoralized because you can't take care of your client because now you're being harassed or you're being, you know, with these subliminal messages and things like that, you know? There's no sense for it. And caregivers really are subjective. I 
Just oh, recently, yeah. one of our caregivers for my mom mm-hmm. told us mm-hmm. about her experience. She's Jamaican, and she told mm-hmm. us about going to this man's house, and he was he was using the N word with her. And she said, "I just mm-hmm. give it right back to him." She called him <laughs> Hitler. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> oh my goodness! But she said, and so my sister and I were talking about it with our caregiver, mm-hmm. and we said, "Well, was the guy demented? I mean, there's right. no excuse for it, no matter how you slice it." But we're right, like, right. Really? And 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 we said it was was he demented? And she said, "No, mm-hmm. he was just a racist." Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you know, and and at a certain age, that's yeah. just like no filter, and yep. Yep. it just comes out. And I and we said, "Well, how do you deal with that?" I mean, that's just right. so offensive. And yeah. look, I wasn't born yesterday. I know this goes on all the time, you know. But mm-hmm. I'm white, so I don't mm-hmm. have that experience. Right, right. Mm-hmm. And the way that we try to deal with that is. You know, everybody's empowered to do what they can do. But if you are disrespected, that has to change because I'm not going to accept the fact that you don't really like me, but I'm going to take care of you. You know what I mean? Sure. It doesn't make sense. It's not going to work. Right. So do you talk with the family members about that? What happens? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, you talk to the family members, you let them know what's going on. And nine times out of ten, the family members know. (laughs) They know. And they allow you to kind of, you know, use your discretion as to how you're going to stand up to whatever. And it hasn't gotten to the point where it's gotten so abusive to the point where it's like, okay, we're not going to do anything. Because at the end of the day, the family members, they see that there's a need and they don't want to deal with it. Right, right, (laughs) absolutely. So they're like, they kind of give you the control to do what's necessary. But if there is anyone that is, it's to the point that if you can't take it and you can't deal with it, then that's just something to move on from. Right. And I do instruct my caregivers, you know, if it's a good paying case, but you are treating my caregivers bad. I will lose the case. Mm-hmm. I will mm-hmm. get rid of it because I have integrity. If you're hurting one of them, you're hurting me too. Right. And I do instruct my caregivers, this company will back you. We're going to go ahead and we'll lose the case. Oh, you can't do that. You wouldn't do that. Really? I said, why would you want to go somewhere and be upset or be treated badly? You're not going to do a good job. So what happened that day that she walked in and she saw the man in the black and white socks? What happened? Well, she, well what ended up happening, I think that day it was raining or something and she mm-hmm. couldn't go home. Mm-hmm. And then I think the family member was like, look, you're just going to have to deal with her today. <laughs> and that was it. And, and she said, but then from then on, she never went back. She's just like, that's just it, you know. Uh-huh. But yeah, I mean, it's crazy out there. But, you know, you're going to get good and you're going to get bad. Right. And it's a challenge. Uh-huh. And like I said, these clients, some of them aren't easy, you know, because they live their life they don't want to give up their independence they still want their freedom in their own way Mm -hmm. and you have to provide safety for them you have to make sure that they you know not hurting themselves and wandering off and you know doing all these different things it's almost like the little kid again you know you got to run after the little kid you know right right but the goal is to be the best of course but unusually the best Mm-hmm. something different mm-hmm. you know it's it's hard it's for family members to find good agencies and mm-hmm. so your mm-hmm. agency is obviously quite different and tell us right. how people are hearing about you and where folks can go to learn more about your organization i have a website it's www.hhspb.org mm-hmm. And I'm going to be setting up little talks here and there. I'm going to set up different events that, you know, we'll we'll be posting on our website soon because I'd like to get out there and educate people because a lot of people really don't have a clue. And I have a Facebook page that I'm getting up right now and working on it. 
Are you a one-woman operation? It sounds like you're doing all this on your own. Pretty much. Pretty and much. you're a mom. And I'm a mom, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, my mother, she helps out with everything, too. And uh-huh. I mean, this is like one company in my head <laughs> with different right. departments, <laughs> Right. <laughs> you know. But I have other staff members that help me out and things like that. Oh, and, you do? Okay. Um, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, well, I was just joking when I said that. But, yeah. okay. you know, I'm, okay. I'm pretty much commanding the ship on that. Yeah. But that's how you can find me. And soon I'll be coming out. Like next year, we're starting this program. It's called the Zelda Program, funded with sponsors and things like that. But this program basically is going to be linking up with some of the businesses in the area mm-hmm. because some services you just want to do as a contribution. Like, for instance, I know this guy, he hadn't had his grass cut for months. You know, I dropped him off one day, you know, just just as as a hand, you know, just to drop him off. And his yard was not cut. Mm -hmm. So I know of a a lawn service in the area, which I'm going to be contracting with to say, you know what, can you just go and cut that yard for free? You know, things like that. Yeah, other in-home services besides care. Right. So Uh we're going to be constructing that next year, getting that all set up. There's just so many ways that we are really going to be getting out there in the community. We're strong, we're innovative, and we're trying to be very different. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Do you have any last thoughts for our listeners before we go? Well, I just want to say I appreciate the time and I appreciate the listeners listening and getting this brief understanding of what I do and um, my background, and, and I really appreciate that. And You know, I hope that we can be that nurturer for anybody that needs any help in the home or has a a client or someone that has Alzheimer's or dementia. I hope they would, you know, give us a try. Karen White, she's the founder and owner of Home Health Services of the Palm Beaches. And we're going to have links on our website to Karen's terrific organization where you can find out all about it and access all kinds of information about how she can support your family. Karen, thank you so much for being on the show. I'm really impressed by what you're doing, and Godspeed. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. That's it for today. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with another new episode. In the meantime, if you don't want to miss any episodes, head on over to the AgeWise website. That's A-G-E-W-Y-Z dot com. And subscribe to the podcast. We've got lots of great interviews and links to information you can use. If you'd like to be on the show or just tell us what you think about it, send an email to Jana at agewise.com. Remember, every caregiver has a story. I want to hear yours.